Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CapesidePress.com. I'm Dan Dugby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC has got one of its biggest pay-per-views of this year, UFC 290, headlined by Volkanovski versus Rodriguez. And we'll be breaking down that fight as well as a other title fight on that card. That's right, flyweight title up for grabs too. As part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, we're talking to Chelsea Chandler on this week's show, who's getting ready for her fight next week at UFC Vegas 77. And also, a little bit later on, we'll be joined by Peyton Talbot, who is looking to cash his ticket to the UFC through the Contender Series this August. But before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Game Up. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. But make no mistake, this is no sports drink. This is a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's very well drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Well, certainly couldn't hurt. Game Up is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just don't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own. It comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch, and grape. And it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Game up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. I and joining me today is Chelsea Chandler, who fights Norma Dumas at UFC Vegas 77. That fight is on July 15th. So, Chelsea, I want to get to talking about your fight, but before we do, we obviously got to talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, Amanda Nunes defended her belt about a month ago. She retires right after it. And Dana White comes on and says that the featherweight division, it, he actually went as far as to say it probably ends now, although he didn't commit to it. I, I know you've obviously fought at 35 and Invicta, but... How much does this concern you in terms of what this means for the featherweight division? Uh, you know, it really doesn't concern me. I feel like um, at 45, they really have no stars right now. And Norma Dumont's fights, they're all kind of, you know, boring decisions that really aren't uh, making people talk. So if I go out there and I perform like I plan on doing, I feel like Dana won't have a choice but to keep the featherweight division. Well, and, and that's actually what I was going to ask you next. How, how much pressure does this put on you to be the one to, to sort of champion the 145 division, to, to go out there and show out on July 15th? You know, it's, it's, it's pressure, but it's, it's a good type of pressure. It's what wakes me up in the morning. It's what makes me go on my long runs. It's what gives me the, the dedication and the, and the drive to, you know, go out there and show out and, and prove that featherweights are something to talk about. I dig it. I dig it. Now, I know last time we talked, 
you had mentioned, you know, kind of wanting to be the one to chase down Amanda Nunez, wanting to like get to that top, pressure her at 45 and pressure her at 35 if given the opportunity. Is it weird with her out of the way now? What what does it feel like now that that it's kind of wide open in front of you? Uh, you know, it, it is wide open, but the way the way I look at it is, you look at Conor McGregor, he retired, he came back. You look at uh, Michael Bisping, he retired and came back. So people retire because they don't have any challenges. I mean, look at Amanda's last fight. She fought Irina Aldana, who was supposed to give her this big challenge, and Irina fought like a deer in headlights. So in terms of drive, like you're waking up every morning, what, to go fight another average individual? So I think that there just hasn't been somebody that's gone out there, put a beat down on, and got her attention to make her wake up in the morning and actually train. So I, yeah, she's retired, but I feel like there's always a chance that she could come back, and um, that would be good. That's, so I'm not, I'm not too bummed either way. I feel like there's other options. I mean, Jermaine Arandame, I think she was the first champion at 45. She's back. She's just come in off from having a baby, and that's also a great fight for me. So my eyes are wide open because there's a lot of options. A lot of people might not see them, but I, I think they're out there, and with some good marketing – I think uh, 45 will be good. I dig that. Now, you said with good marketing, and obviously that comes from both the UFC and, you know, some fighters, like you said, putting on big performances too. How much of you getting the mic after a fight and putting a promo together is important for that? Because obviously, you know, you want to go out there. You want to put a beat down on Norma Dumont. You want to make 145 look exciting. But, like, you know, we have those viral moments with the microphone, with the Conor McGregor's and the Michael Bisping's you just mentioned do, do you feel pressured to, to kind of do that as well? Um, you know, I mean, if, if you're talking about people going on and putting a good show for the mic, look at Juliana Pena. She got choked out unconscious by Jermaine Durandame, came back, won a fight, and then just blabbed her mouth and got a title fight against Amanda Nunez. So there's really not a lot of girls that are going out there and talking and um, creating any type of aura about the female fighter. So I think if you go out there and you talk shit and you and you bring what you're bringing, uh, they're going to have no choice but to listen to you because nobody else is doing it. So it doesn't really give me a lot of pressure because at the end of the day, I'm confident in my skills and my skill set. So just going out there and, and saying what I think uh, is enough. I like it. I like it. Now, you, you know, uh, before we get to talking about this fight with Dumas and the stylistic matchup and everything like that, I did want to ask you about your last fight, which obviously got canceled. You know, you were pumped to turn around and get an opportunity to sort of build up the momentum on that first fight. You get booked with Danielle Wolf, a fighter who's only got two fights in the uh, in her career, one on the Contender Series, one in the UFC. What, where were you in your training camp? How, how rough was it for you to have to sort of hit the reset button and, and wait these extra months? I mean, it's been a, quite a, a long haul since October. You know, I trained uh, the same – the week after I fought, I started training, and, and I felt like having a dominant performance like that, I was going to get called back pretty quickly. But honestly, I felt like I went on my first date. I gave it up. I never got a call back. <laughs> so, I, you know, I just I just trained every day, and then they told me I was going to have Danielle Wolf. Uh, I was ready for anybody, and then she pulled out like a week later um, – I mean, I don't think she got injured. I think she got scared. Someone talked some sense into her, and she pulled out. 
So then I just was waiting, and then they booked Norma with somebody, and then I was like, geez. So then I just kept training, and I'm really excited because I've put in a lot of time, and I've, I've done a lot of different changes, and I'm going to come out there and be completely different. And it's going to be a Chelsea Chandler people haven't seen before. And July 15th, will be I'll be a force to reckon with, and I'm excited. Well, I don't want you to tip off too much because obviously you want the surprise factor there for Norma Dumont, but is there an area of your game that you feel like has morphed the most since last October? You know, like strength and conditioning, have you been, you know, working your jiu-jitsu more? Like what, what is the area that you feel has gotten the most better in that time? Honestly, I think it's been like eight or nine months by the time I'll get to that fight. So I've had time to work on everything. My strength and conditioning is in peak top shape. I mean, I'm, I'm in better shape than I've ever been in my entire career. My jujitsu, I got my brown belt in December, so I'm no slouch there. My striking, I work on that every day with Felipe Martinez boxing and big box Muay Thai. And then also my sambo. So everywhere, I'm a problem. So, I mean, there's not too much I could tip off. Every time I fight, everybody knows how I'm going to fight. I'm going to come for and I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to put on a fight. So, yeah, I'm excited. And, and, you know, you're actually probably one of the only fighters I've ever had mention in an interview. I've been working on my Sambo. Like, you work specifically on that skill set and on that martial art, like, separate from MMA. Is is that true? Is, is Sambo something that you do a lot of, you know, like, almost with its own skill set, its own rule set? So what's really nice is my, um, my head coach is a, a black belt in Sambo under Val Ignatov. He's a Bulgarian champion. Um, he, he trained a bunch of Quantico, uh, FBI agents. He is the bomb. So he, he gave my main coach his black belt. He comes down and trains. He's coming down tonight. So I do a lot of Sambo stuff. Um, what's nice is my head coach is also a black belt in jujitsu. So he's got a good way of mixing it. You know, Sambo is staying on top, giving a beat down. It was more of your primal. You're in a war. What you want to do is you want to main your guy. So you want to break his leg and move on to the next guy because, it takes three guys to go pick up the guy with a broken leg and move him off the battlefield versus just killing somebody. So it's, it's a maiming and um, a war type uh, as, a martial art. So I really enjoy it. <laughs> and I, I do work on it, but I also work on it at the same time as I do jujitsu and, and other things. I dig that. I dig that. Now let's, let's talk about the, the matchup with Norma Dumont because you know, Norma Dumont, like you said, she's been on a roll. She, she's won five of her last six in the UFC. She's kind of been the person who is, you know, outside of Amanda Nunez championing the 145-pound division, being the person who's going up and fighting there. But like you said, she's also had some kind of dud performances where, yeah, she won, but maybe it wasn't the most fun to watch. What were your thoughts when they offered you Norma Dumont as, you know, sort of the replacement fight finally for uh, Danielle Wolf? Well, honestly, I've been asking for Norma for quite a while. So, uh, I, you know, the the whole Daniel Wolf thing kind of went dud, and then Norma got a fight, and then I was told, hey, well, we can wait for Norma. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's wait for Norma. So um, this is a fight that I think is, is a very beatable fight. It's also – it's a hard fight, but it, it's a it's a fight – you know, people, when they, you got cheat codes and you got levels, you can skip. This girl's already fought the who's who of a 45 division. So I go in there and I beat her. I'm I'm already at the top. I think she's ranked number two as featherweight. So it's at, at the fir- at, at first it's like, okay, I'm asking for this hard fight. 
and I also know that I can beat her. So I like the fight. I'm really excited about the fight, and I think that this fight opens up a lot of doors uh, if I come out the victor. Well, we're excited about this one, too. So give us the official prediction. How's this one end on uh, July 15th? KO round two. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. That has been Chelsea Chandler, who fights Norma Dumont at UFC Vegas 77. That fight, once again, July 15th. Chelsea, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chelsea Chandler. I Once again, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland. Join now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, uh, before we get talking about UFC 290 International Fight Week, it's a very, very, very fun card this week. I wanted to ask you, International Fight Week always has got a little bit of lore behind it. They used to jam three fight cards into a week sometimes. But I'm wondering if you would share with us what you think the best ever International Fight Week card ever was. Yeah, I mean, this to me is sort of like the UFC's version of WrestleMania in a lot of ways. And I actually do miss, I think there was like maybe a three-year stretch, if I'm not mistaken, where it was like uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you'd get I three think Thursday, cards. Fr- th- Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That was amazing. But anyway, I think the pinnacle, the peak, the paramount was UC 189, Connor, Chad Mendez, yeah, Chinedo Connor singing uh, Connor out, <laughs> uh, Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald, which I believe I have to say, depending on the day, probably my favorite fight of all time. Um, and that entire card was nothing but finishes in the main event. So UFC 189 is my favorite international fight week memory. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think UFC 189 was – and for me, too, the other thing was is it wasn't just the Robbie Lawler, uh, Roy McDonald, and then Conor McGregor, Chad Mendez, obviously like an insane fight, you know, the crowning of uh, what we would begin to see Conor unfold into – but also, like, if you went down on the card, like, we got two flying knee finishes on the main card. That's insane. Gunnar Nelson doing Gunnar Nelson things. Uh, Matt Brown, Tim Means was was good fun for a round. Like, there was all kinds of fun stuff going on in that card. Of course, they loaded it up with Irish dudes hoping uh, Connor would, would sort of be the crescendo. And all the Irish dudes before him lost. Uh, so that was kind of uh, brutal. But yeah, no, dude, it was just... Uh, the the most fun fight night card or uh, fight week card of all time, and and hey, I, I think we've got a chance for another one just like that this week. Yeah, so I also have to say too, uh, uh, Sonin uh, Silva two, uh, albeit oh, you know yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, and then I gotta say. UFC 100, um, which I guess technically wasn't billed as an international fight week, but around that same time, um, was amazing. UFC 200 to me had the chance to like supplant 189, but then the Jones fight falling through and the gold cage just sort of puts like a real the gold bummer. cage. The gold cage hurt you. <laughs> I love the yeah. gold cage. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just too weird to me. And then, uh, What's it called? Um, also, just the idea that Brock came back just for the one shot, but then also popped for steroids. Not really a, a shock. But the whole thing, the UFC 200, just feels, I don't know, that event feels weird to me. Almost like it, it took place in an alternate reality. Because nothing, I guess, other than, uh, is that when Noons beat Misha Tate, actually? I think so, that, yeah, if I remember that correctly. W- yeah, that would be, so 
that was Nunes' ascent. That's where UFC 200 actually is, is so historically important, not just because of the stupid gold cage and the numbers 200, but it was Nunes's, you know, I guess, path to becoming the queen. Uh, other than that, though, I just, the UFC 200 was not good to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. They, they were just trying so hard to make it a thing. You right. know what I mean? They're they're trying so hard to be like, ah, UFC 200, because they hit the round number. And when stuff started to fall apart, instead of being like, oh, well, you know, we could just make this a pretty good card, uh, and then UFC 201 will be gnarly. Uh, instead, they were like, nope, we're going to make this happen. Uh, so I guess Frankie Edgar is fighting Jose Aldo for the interim championship now, uh, which was dumb. And then they're like, you know, We'll have Daniel Cormier fighting Anderson Silva, which is dumb. Like, you know, like th- there was no need for any of that. I, um, I also, it, you know, oh, go ahead. No, I, I would just say, too, like the same thing with the Brock Lesnar and Mark Hunt fight. Like, they, they needed that to be something, uh, and it wasn't. So, uh, yeah, like like they were I, they were trying so hard to shoehorn a really good card into a time they didn't have the pieces to make a really good card. Exactly. And I was going to pick it up on the Brock Lesnar point, Mark Hunt point, which is like, and this is something we could almost do in, in an episode based entirely off of this question, which is, do you like your UFC when it's a strict sport or do you like it when it's more of an entertainment based sport? And what I mean, what I mean by that is you always have Uncle Dana saying he doesn't put on freak fights, which we all know is completely untrue. And yes, he doesn't match up like a 155 pounder, which is a 200 pounder like early UFC or pride. But this is a man who promoted Phil Brooks a.k.a. CM Puck, at age 37 because he was a name. This is a man who seemingly wants to promote Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg as a fight under his banner. So the UFC does do freak fights sometimes. And that's what uh, Brock versus uh, Mark Hunt was. They gave Brock a favorable matchup to him for someone who wasn't going to be able to stop his takedowns. They basically told him, do as many steroids as you can. And to me, while it was fun, don't get me wrong, and I'm always going to watch these types of fights that answer certain weird questions like that, like, you know, can Brock come back after five years off, just be roided up and still be effective or whatever. The the problem is, at like a big event, like a UC 100, a UC 200, I don't really like those freak fights. I rather the sport, like, shine on those nights, like the best in competition. And that's not what Brock versus Mark Hunt was. So I think that actually, really talking out loud here, getting in touch with our feelings, that's what pisses me off about UFC 200 the most. It felt very forced and uh, just kind of like, you know, a money grab. Yeah, and I'll say this too. Like, I think there's the ability to have – some of those like weird fights and stuff like that within the confines of real competition. Because I, I think that's why I really like this UFC 290 card. Because yes, we have Volkanovski versus Yair Rodriguez, a unification fight that we need. Moreno versus Pantoja is going down again. That's a, a fight we've needed to see since Pantoja's got one and a half wins over Brandon Moreno already. But also they like went and got a whole bunch of, like, fun questions to ask. Like, can Bo Nickel beat somebody who seemingly can stop a takedown in Trajan Gore? So now we're getting, you know, a guy who is damn near could have been on the Olympic team, you know, an Olympic-level wrestler, a multi-time All-American, a, a national champion, and we're putting him in the cage and asking at 4-0 what level is he ready for? And I think that's a way that you can do it while still being like, this is to answer competitive questions, not to... Uh, answer the question my drunk uncle came up with in the garage. 
Right, exactly. And I, I think for me, I lean more towards like, let's have a very uniform and rigid ranking system and like a almost clear cut delineation to a title shot. And then let's get guys who go on these like crazy win streaks and then we match them up and we answer these questions that are like very sport based and you have a clear cut like, okay, well now he's deserving of the title shot. I get a little annoyed when the UFC starts making up their own rules to who gets a title shot. And, uh, you know, you bring in some of these like freakier fights. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge pride fan. I love the freaky fights, but on an international fight week to bring this all home, I like what we're answering this week, which is questions that have meaningful implications to where these divisions go. So with that being said, we've talked about it enough. Let's get into UFC 290 because we've already kind of teased it. Let's break out our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays. We're going to give you a couple of fights we like, a couple of dogs we like, and a parlay to play. But Gumby, before we get into it all, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. And it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch, and grape. And it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs, it's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it home for the team. All right. We love Game Up. We love Game Up. Alexander Volkanovsky is a minus 450 favorite. Tayair Rodriguez, a plus 340 dog. Rodriguez, a very fun fighter to watch. Maybe not the guy you want to go out and bet your life savings on as a 340 dog. Albeit he is funky, though, so that's always a caveat. You never know. Could he catch someone? But let's break it down. Yair Rodriguez is on a two-fight winning streak. He uh, beat Brian Ortega, albeit because Ortega had a shoulder injury. And he beat Josh Emmett via triangle choke back in February. He had lost to Max Holloway before that. Uh, beat Jeremy Stevens and Chan, Jung Chan Sung, uh, Korean Zombie, in a performance of the night and one of the craziest fights you'll ever see with, like, a second left and a 6-12 to 12 elbow. Um, that was amazing, and then he lost to Frankie Edgar before that. So here's what I wanted to bring up about Yair Rodriguez. He goes on these winning streaks. He looks like a video game. He runs into Frankie Edgar, gets absolutely mauled. He goes on a winning streak, runs into Max Holloway, pretty much is a fight of the night, but lost a unanimous decision. Max Holloway clearly won that fight. So when he gets to the tippy top, that's where he tends to take that step back. Could he change things this weekend against Volkanovski, who, I'll just mention, was on a billion-fight win streak at 145, came up to 155, lost uh, the unanimous decision, as we all basically assumed he would back in February. So take out the uh, championship fight at 155. This man is in GOAT territory for 145 and near unbeatable. Can Yair beat him? No, I don't think so. Um, And the biggest thing for me, too, is – like, if you, if you go back and you look at those fights that Yair lost, and, and you don't even have to pick out just the ones he lost. You can pick out some of the ones he won, too. It's like, uh, Max Holloway, when he wasn't getting the best of the striking, which was only for very brief moments in that fight, right? Ma- Max Holloway put it on him. But when Max Holloway didn't like what he was seeing, he took him down. And he can take him down for two reasons. Number one, Yair likes working off of his back. And number two... Yair has not worked his takedown defense, probably because he likes working off of his back. 
Um, and it hasn't gotten any better over the years. You know, you go back, you know, you mentioned he got mauled by Frankie Edgar. I think that might be Frankie Edgar's last win. Um, it, he got mauled by Frankie Edgar. He got mauled by Frankie Edgar. He also beat Pedro Munoz. My bad. Um, he got mauled by Frankie Edgar because Frankie Edgar could take him down at will and then do whatever he wants. And that's a problem when you're fighting Alexander Volkanovsky, a guy who, I mean, he, he's out-wrestled Max Holloway. He, he went toe-to-toe in the wrestling department with Islam Makashev. Like that, and that's a 155-pounder. So, like, unless you think yeah, your Rodriguez is going to hit some sort of sensational knockout, which, by the way, Max Holloway didn't in all 99 minutes he's gotten to fight uh, Volkanovsky. Unless you think he can hit some sort of spectacular knockout, he ain't subbing him off of his back, right? There's no way Volkanovsky's getting subbed off of his back by Yair Rodriguez. And, and so then I just don't really see a way that Volkanovsky loses this fight. I think he mauls him. I think he takes him down. Look, Jeremy Stevens took down Yair Rodriguez three times in a three-round fight. Um, and won a round off of Yair Rodriguez. And, and that didn't happen all that long ago. That happened like three years ago. So I'm not picking a guy who couldn't stop jeremy stevens's takedowns to stop volkanovsky's uh with fidelity so yeah give me give me uh volkanovsky and negative 450 probably isn't high enough yeah so i'm with everything you say and it's obviously volkanovsky uh head to head and i just have to say though styles do make fights and yair rodriguez is a weird style i think volkanovsky is I mean, superb. I mean, top of the division when it comes to striking. And he's top of the division and in, like, best ever territory in that GSP way of mixing styles that make up a perfect MMA fighter. Uh, he can, the, wherever the fight goes, he can take it there. And he's better than, you know, the people who claim to even be specialist in that field or part of MMA. That's how damn good he is. But that being said, I cannot not think about the idea that Yair Rodriguez could land a flying whoop-de-whoop, a crazy spinning elbow, and it's not worth at, you know, 34 to 1 putting down $20 on that or whatever your appetite is for a wild bet. That probably won't come true. It's not, to me, uh, you know, Pick your cyborg challenger. Pick your, uh, you know, I guess who else would be like the most dominant, dominant, like Ronda versus Alexa Davis. Like that was like a no chance to me. But this, there's a spinning elbow chance. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I'll give you that. I I will also say, though, it's kind of surprising that Yair Rodriguez by knockout is still only six to one. Uh so like they 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 see that as his pretty much his only way to win too because it's only you know it's about twice as high as his his just a win prop. Um, whereas like if you want him by submission, he's fifteen to one, or by decision is nine to one. So th- that's what the odds might say too. They they think he's most likely to win here uh, by knockout if he's gonna win. Yeah, exactly. And I would say this: I wouldn't even bet fifty cents. I wouldn't bet one U.S. dollar on him to win by decision. That's just yeah, net. Me that's, <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, fun fight here. Uh, Brandon Moreno, uh, minus 210. Uh, Alexander Pantoja, plus 170. Moreno is on a two-fight win streak since losing to Devison Figueredo, uh, where he lost the championship. 
He came back, won the interim title against Kai Kara France, and then beat Devison Figueredo to unify the UFC Flyweight Championship. He is the Flyweight Champion again. Uh, so it's fun to not see him fighting Devison Figueredo. And here's what makes this Pantoja matchup so exciting. Pantoja actually holds wins over him, one in UFC proper, and one is a exhibition tough bout. So that's amazing. And Pantoja is on a three-fight win streak himself, coming off a big uh, submission neck crank over Alex Perez, beat Brandon Revolver rear naked trip before that, beneath, uh, beat Manel Kate before that, the unanimous decision, lost to Askar Askarov back in July of 2020. That was his last loss. So three and one in his last four. He is a plus 170 dog. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to actually go with Pantoja here, and, and not just because he holds the prior wins, too. It's, I've really liked the development of his game as of late. Um, you know, in, in one sense, he, he's kind of always been the same guy, uh, somebody with really great wrestling and good power punching. And, uh, you know, he, he does all right in terms of volume when he needs to turn it up. Uh, but I've really liked his commitment to his grappling game as of late. Uh, if, if you look at that Brandon Roy Ball fight, um, which granted happened two years ago now at this point, um, he, he committed himself to shooting on Brandon Roy Ball a bunch of times and just doing what works best. Um, because he very well could have just slugged it out with Brandon Roy Ball, probably won that fight, but made it a lot closer. And that's maybe what he did. If you want to go back to losing to Davis and Figueredo like four or five years ago, he was like, oh, I can box with Davis and Figueredo and we'll mix up the grappling a little bit. And he, I, I just don't think he focused on what he does best. And instead he was like, oh, this is a fun fight and I can win it this way. Uh, and now he's really committed himself to let's go get what works. And and he did that to Alex Perez, too. I, I mean, like he got to his grappling. He got that neck crank finish like he's just doing the things that work best. And not that Moreno hasn't developed as well since the, those early days. I mean, like part of the reason he beat Figueredo in the last fight is because he scored some takedowns. But I do think there's just like there's a little bit of a power advantage here from Pantoja. I also do just think he's the better wrestler and the better grappler. I think you're going to see him in some better spots. And I also think, you know, like the threat of the wrestling, which I, I think is higher for Pantoja than it has been against, you know, most of the people who Moreno has fought as of late, which granted is mostly Davis and Figueredo. Um, but like, I, I, I think that that threat is going to neutralize some of his striking. So I, I like the dog money here on Pantoja. All right, I like it. Don't disagree with you on it. I also like Pantoja on the dog money. Uh, Whitaker is a minus 400, four to one favorite to Dragus Duplesis. A plus 300 dog is the South African fighter. Uh, Duplesis is on a um, six fight, no, wait, a eight fight win streak. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds That's right. amazing. Oh <laughs> my gosh, just, and golly. It's a sleepy one because when you beat Trevin Giles and Brad Tavares, people forget that fight happened. <laughs> yeah, and so it goes back to KSW, too. So his last loss in professional fighting was in October of 2018 at KSW 45, um, and now he's on an eight-fight win streak. In the UFC, he's 5-0, and and he's coming off a TKO corner stoppage win over Derek Brunson. He beat Darren Till via submission before that, and then, as you said, beat Brad Tavares and Trevin Giles. Whitaker, the former champion, is coming off a win over Marvin Vittori. He lost to UFC uh, middleweight champion Israel Adesanya back at UFC 271 in February of 2022, and he had a three-fight win streak in between the Adesanya losses. So he lost Adesanya, his title. He lost his title the first time to Adesanya in October 2019. Three-fight win streak, ran into another Adesanya loss, 
came back and beat Marvin Vittori. He's kind of in that, you know, is he gatekeeper status now? I would love to see him fight. And we can get into this after the actual breakdown. Um, but him and Pereira is a very interesting matchup to me. Uh, this is a division that needs new blood. So it's nice that Duplessis is on a five fight win streak in the UFC, but now running into Robert Whitaker, probably going to lose. It sends him back down the card. So that's unfortunate, but break it down. Who you got? Yeah, probably going to lose is right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously going to take uh, Robert Whitaker here. And, and for a lot of reasons, like, Look, I think what what Duplessis has done really well is he he's gotten big finishes when he needs them, and you know like he doesn't go away in fights. But the thing is, he's just not sharp enough on the feet, and he's not a good enough wrestler that he is going to force Robert Whitaker's hands. Right? Robert Whitaker is a guy who who, with the exception of losing some razor close fights with Israel Adesanya beats the tar out of everybody and largely does it with very good boxing, solid takedown defense. And when you look at uh, uh, Duplices, Duplices dropped the first round to Brad Tavares, the aforementioned Brad Tavares. And, and yeah, he rallied back and won that fight and did what he had to to win it. But like, if you're a guy who has to do what you have to to get by Brad Tavares, you're not getting by Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker is nine steps ahead of Brad Tavares. Um, you know, he's he's infinitely better. So, like, obviously that worries me. And the fact that Duplices went 0-7 in his takedowns in that fight, I, I mean, just gives me, like, almost no hope that he gets any kind of offense going against Whitaker. Again, negative 400, probably not high enough. Our dog of the week is Kamela Kirk, a plus 170. Break it down. Yeah, I like Kamela Kirk here over Esteban Rebovic, uh, mostly because I think... Kamuela Kirk is, I think he's sneaky good with his wrestling. Um, I, I think we've seen a little bit of his wrestling out of him when he was on Contender Series. He wrestled up Billy Quarantillo. Um, but I think here against Rebovich, he, he's fast with his hands. I think he's going to put together his combinations. Rebovich kind of is a little bit more of a rote striker. You see him do the same thing over and over and over again. Whereas Kirk mixes it up, you see him use some spinny stuff, you see him use his kicks. I think he was looking all right against Damon Jackson before he winds up getting submitted there. I think the likelihood of him having to worry about submissions is not bad here. And look, I think his own grappling is good enough to get one. So plus 170, I think there's a ton of value on Kimuela Kirk. Our parlay to play is Jalen Turner, a minus 240, and Nico Price, a minus 250. Pair those two two two-to-one favorites together and it gets you even money. Let's hear it. Yeah, well, I, I think this is more of a fade parlay than anything else, because while I do like Jalen Turner and I mostly like Nico Price, I, I don't trust Dan Hooker and Robbie Lawler anymore. I don't trust either of them against top-level competition or, or anything resembling top-level competition. I think Jalen Turner is so long that he's just going to cause Dan Hooker too many problems. Dan Hooker is a guy who has shown lots of holes at 55, uh, and he gets by some of those holes by just being really long. And now he's going to be the smaller fighter. I think Jalen Turner absolutely torches him. I think negative 240 is a, a bargain for Jalen Turner. And with Robbie Lawler, we just saw him get knocked out by Brian Barberena. I, I don't think he survives slugging it out with Nico Price for 15 minutes. That, that It's crazy to think that. So, yeah, I, I think Nico Price is going to hit a huge knockout here and probably ruin everybody's day uh, who still loves Robbie Lawler. So give me those two together and uh, turn it into plus money. 
Yeah, I still love Robbie Lawler. Ruined my day, but maybe not if I bet on him. So I like it. All right. We hope you enjoyed this uh, edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We accept both love and hate feedback on our social media at Top Turtle MMA. Let us know if you think we did you right or did you dirty with these picks. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. What should we do next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Peyton Talbot, who is getting ready to fight on the first episode of Contender Series this upcoming August. And we're going to be talking to him about his journey to the UFC and how he hopes to get there uh, on August 8th. So we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Peyton Talbot, who fights Junior Cortez at Dana White's Contender Series Week 1. That fight is on. August 8th. So Peyton, I I wanted to start here. Obviously, it's a big moment in any fighter's career when they hear they're going to be on Contender Series. They're going to get their shot to impress Dana White. What were your reactions like when when you got the the notice that you'd be on the show? Uh, It was a little surreal at first. It didn't really set in. I'm not even sure if it completely has set in, but um, I was definitely excited. Makes me feel like all my hard work has gone towards something, but this isn't the end of the road, and I want to... uh, pursue things much further than this so and and obviously you said you know it's not the end of the road for you and you feel like you put tons of hard work in you have had kind of a short career as far as a professional is concerned right you only five pro fights at the moment were you sort of surprised that just five pro fights in you were getting the call already no i wasn't very surprised because i feel like in those five fights i've shown that i am ufc caliber and i have been for a long time um but I mean, it is a little surreal because I, I had my first um, amateur fight like five years ago this year. So I've only been fighting for like five years. And, and what is it that, that brought you to fighting five years ago? I mean, I know you used to wrestle. Was it just, you know, wrestler wanted to transition, keep doing martial arts? Or was it, you know, something you always knew you wanted to do? Uh, no, I didn't know I wanted to do it. I used to like watch uh ufc events or hear of them and just think it was like super barbaric and just like <laughs> lame um but i think i watched some like highlights of some conor mcgregor knockouts and i was like i just need an outlet in life so i went to the nearest gym and took a class and we like sparred the first day and i fell in love with it so i like that so, so do, do you feel like then that you have taken some of Conor McGregor's styles as inspiration for yourself? Because I know, obviously, like I said, wrestling background, but super exciting with the hands in your fight so far. Have you sort of taken that as uh, part of the way that you would like to see yourself fight? Yeah, I'd like to say that I've taken a lot of and borrowed a lot of things from fighters that are very successful, but Conor McGregor is one of them, just with his confidence, his manifestation, and um, the fact that he likes to make his fights exciting. but I think I've also borrowed from even boxers like Lomachenko, uh, Max Holloway, Israel Adesanya. So I borrow a lot from people. And, and, and out of curiosity, so, you know, obviously all those people you mentioned, even the ones who are MMA fighters, not just the boxers, they are guys who strike. So coming from a wrestling background, was it just that the striking arts were more exciting to you? Was it that they they clicked for you when you started training? What What drew you to the striking aspects of things? I feel like everything kind of clicks for me um, with uh, MMA. But, yeah, I think that striking is just more exciting. Nobody wants to see you hold on to a guy for a whole round. Nobody wants to see you wrestle unless you're, like, throwing someone. So um, I definitely do plan on um, implementing more wrestling in the future, but it's only to set up my hands and kicks. So I don't want to get stuck there. 
<laughs> I like that. Now, now I, I got to ask too about your your. I believe it was your last fight when you got taken down a couple of times, and then it seemed like in the third round you were just like, "Nah, I'm done with this. Like, we're gonna box now, and I'm gonna put this away." What is it about your style, and what is it about your mentality that allows you to just it, it seemingly flip a switch like that? Uh, I think the main thing is my cardio. I don't really get tired, um, and as the fight goes on, I usually get stronger and. I finally get into my flow. It takes me so long to warm up in a fight. But, um, yeah, he took me down a lot. That dude was so strong. <laughs> Never felt anyone on my back like that. Like, he was super strong. Um, but I think he just got frustrated because I just kept coming, and I wasn't I wasn't quitting. Most people just, like, kind of lay on bottom and look for small escapes but stay safe. But I was working the whole time. So I think he just got frustrated and tired of it, and he saw that I didn't look tired at all. So. And is that a testament to all of the training you've done since you started MMA, or were you a cardio king even back when you were you were wrestling and whatnot? Um, no, they used to in wrestling they used to call me two pack a day Talbot because <laughs> they said I would like smoke two packs of cigarettes because I would always gas when I would wrestle. So I don't really remember when that came, but I think it's more of just a mentality thing. Like, I mean, I a lot of the guys I fight are probably in better shape than me. Cause I don't really do road work. I don't run that much, but I think it's just my mentality and um, just being um, cool, calm and collected and not dumping my adrenaline right away. That's what keeps me in the fight for so long. That makes a lot of sense. Now I, I did want to ask you about fighting for Uriah Faber's a one, because that has given you a chance to fight on fight pass in front of extra eyes, bigger crowds. Do you feel like that has been like the on-ramp that you needed to to fight in contender series? Or do you feel like, you know, you're you're not a guy who who deals with too much of the crowd uh jitters and whatnot? Uh no, I don't think I deal with crowd jitters at all. I don't even really notice it there. But um I do think that Uriah's uh, promotion did a lot to help me get to where I need to be. Um they took really good care of me. They kind of realized who I was right away and how they could have that work in their favor and also how they could get me to the next level. So they were never bitter about me, you know, ever getting offers from higher promotions. They wanted me to do better because it also makes their promotion look good when somebody uh, breaks out and goes into the UFC. They've had a lot of UFC veterans fight on their uh, promotion, but they've never had, I'm the first person to go to the UFC from a one. Um, so I think it was a win for both of us and um, shout out to Uriah for, always kind of guiding me and putting me in the right direction. I like that. Now let's talk about the right direction and where you led next. And that is a fight in the apex with junior Cortez. So, you know, obviously you're a guy from the Vegas area. It's trained in the Vegas area has been around the big show a little bit already, but what's it like knowing that you're going to be fighting in front of Dana white on your next fight and that it's going to be in the UFC apex. Um, pretty cool um i'm from reno so i'm like a little ways away from vegas but um i think it's gonna be cool because i get to do my job like right in front of him it's kind of hard when you're you have to call him out or you got to go through a second person um but he's gonna be right there so i hope like during the fight i can find some kind of opportunity to maybe give him a some eye contact or talk to him a little bit um and just be myself and put on a show because if he's there and sees it first person, um, I think he'll kind of get a feel for who I am and how important it would be for me to have him fight in the UFC. For sure. And and that style is super entertaining and, and they will definitely enjoy it. Now let's talk about how that matches up with Junior Cortez though, because Junior Cortez is a guy 
who's already had one shot at the Contender Series. He was on last year's version of the Contender Series, has battled his way back to it again. Uh, it, what were your thoughts on Junior Cortez when they announced him as an opponent? Did you know him? Did you have to do some research on him? What'd you think of him? I didn't know him at all. I had to do uh, quite a bit of research, but uh, apparently he's like Tracy Cortez's little brother who everybody like talks about. I don't care either way. They can get these hands, but um, I think it's a good matchup. I've definitely seen him get lured into some boring fights, which I don't even have that in me. I don't think so. I don't, I don't have much fear going into this fight. And I think he's a little panicked because it's his last chance. And um, if you see my fights, you know, it's going to be an ugly one either way it goes. So I think he's really nervous and he's putting a lot of pressure on himself to look good. But even if not, I'm going to show up and do my job either way. I don't care how he's feeling. So I love it. Now, you mentioned that your fights are ugly no matter what. I, I got to ask, it, do you love that about fighting? Do you love making it ugly? And if so, what is it about the ugly fight that you like? Uh, yeah, that's I love making the fight ugly. I don't want to ever go in there and just get a like clean knockout in 10 seconds. That's not really me or my personality. Um, I just like when two people are in there and they're fighting like with everything they have and there's a lot of give and take and you can see um, parts of a human that you don't get to see in everyday life when they're in those deep waters and their life is on the line. Um, and you reach like this flow state with um, your opponent when you go to those deep places um, that just, I don't know, aren't like many. And I do fighting because I, I honestly love getting to that place and I love being in the cage and fighting a lot of people fight from fear or adrenaline or anger, but I don't feel like I fight from any of those places. I just fight out of curiosity and because I desire to have fun in the cage. So the longer I'm in there, the better. I, I dig that. Well, my last question is always asking for a prediction. You kind of gave us how you think the fight's going to look, but give me how you think the fight's going to end come August 8th. Um, I think it'll end late in the second round or early in the third round from uh, TKO. That's uh, I think the first round will be me warming up like always and us getting a feel for each other. And then, yeah, I think we'll open up a lot um, second and third round. But I do see a finish, positively. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Peyton Talbot, who fights Junior Cortez at Dana White's Contender Series Week 1. That fight, once again, is on August 8th. Peyton, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Game Up Heart Hydration, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Danny Goodby-Greenland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.